Morning, everyone. It's great to see you here today as we continue on our series called Unwrapped. Before we get started with our series, I just want to throw out a quick uh, update to you. Uh, on December the 19th, we're going to have an informational meeting here at the Blissville campus about our Honduras uh, trip coming up at the end of uh, February and first part of March. So if you would, uh, if you're interested or considering it or just want a little bit of information that doesn't commit you to going or anything like that, please mark that on your calendars, calendar and come and um, you'll hear a little bit more about it and, and things like that. It's really interesting. When I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, the different uh, missions and, and things like that, that we, uh, the efforts that we support globally, um, I failed to say that, or I did say, I think we spent the last 13 years or so in Honduras, but actually, as I was talking to Jim Isley, it's a little bit more than that even. And so uh, this will be our 13th trip with Jim, but I know in the past there's been a couple other ones too. So we have, like I said, uh, especially this camp has, has an affinity with um, uh, Honduras, and uh, if you again, are interested. We have built some incredible relationships there. It would be awesome if you go and just uh, be a part of that team. So that will be on a Monday night. And in addition to that, we will give you the time uh, like next week or zip out an email or something like that. But since we're in the uh, the crazy Christmas schedule, we'll probably have an 01 attached to it, okay? Yeah, I know that's not funny, is it? Because last week we all joked about the potluck, the crazy cla- the classy Christmas potluck pageant. For 501, and you, a lot of you guys showed up at 517. So it's really not funny, is it? I'm the one that's not laughing. <laughs> so anyhow, um, we will we will have that um, have that. And by the way, if you were how many were here for the for the potluck pageant? Cool. Um, those of you that missed out, uh, you missed out representing this campus, competing with the Adrian campus. Okay, and and since a lot of your patrons there uh, showed up at 517. You set the bar pretty low for the Adrian campus, okay? So uh, they might bust you on the average, all right? So anyhow, uh, just something to uh, whatever, look forward to. So anyhow, um, make sure you plan that and, um, and, and attend. We are uh, continuing this series called Unwrapped, our Christmas series. And within this series, we're talking about, um, as we look into the story, the Christmas story, and as we read throughout scriptures, we see various other stories kind of emerge that really challenge our feel-good, um, you know, cozy Christmas. Now, as I said last week, I want to put the disclaimer out there one more time, we're not here to trash or, or bash um, the, you know, how you celebrate Christmas, anything like that. But we, we are here to throw out some, a different perspective. And so as we look at this Christmas story, we see some these other stories emerge. And hopefully you will really grab a hold of them and uh, really start thinking about, uh, you know, how you view Christmas. When I say the word justice, God's justice, and by the way, this is going to be congregation participation, which means you got to audibly, it's not a rhetorical question, and you got to audibly say something to where I can hear you, Okay. Are we awake? Are you guys awake? Seriously. No? Good grief. It's like 11th. It's noon almost, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we, um, what, what, what comes to your mind when I throw out the word justice, God's justice? What do you think of? Shout it out. Just a couple words. You don't have to go into a theological diatribe. Just a couple words. What do you think of? God's justice. Discipline. Apparently you represent all these people today. They're in agreement. You took their one word. Anyone else? Could, does anyone else have any thoughts? What? Heaven or hell. What else? Mercy? Cool. What else? Okay, we're tapped. All right. 
Um, you know, when I, started to, when I started looking at this, I was talking to CJ, and I said this past week, and I was like, hey, you know, what do you think of justice? Of course, he's spiritually mature and everything, and he threw out what, it was, what we're talking about today, which I was like, hey, I didn't see it that way, you know. But I saw it more like you, Jen. I saw it more of like God's justice. You know, okay, finally, the debt's going to be paid. Those people that have done wrong are going to be dealt with right now. You know what I mean? God's justice is going to be served. But when we take a look, and it will be at some point in time, but when we take a look at this series in Unwrapped and we look at it in the context of Christmas, we see a story of justice, but it's a different story of justice. And it's really cool, this story of justice that emerges and, and, and may challenge our not only our perception of how we celebrate Christmas, but maybe even how we view God's justice even. Listen to the words of uh, the, some of the psalmists. And, and as you're doing that, if you would turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 8, I want to take a look at this particular passage uh, within the Word of God. So as you're flipping through to Luke 4, chapter, eight, or chapter 4, verse 18, let me read some, let me read, um, some definitions of God's justice uh, found in the Psalms. In one Psalm, 72.2, he says this, He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones, with justice. Now that's a little bit different than the way I was viewing justice. He will, he will, you're afflicted ones with justice. The, and another one, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He goes on to say in Psalm 140, 12, I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. That challenges the way I view justice. You know, it, it's a totally different justice because here's what, here's, as we take a look at this, we see that God's justice is more than just paying for their crimes. Now, there is a time for that where God's final judgment's coming down, but at this particular point, as we look at this Christmas story, we see another side of God. We see another, uh, maybe not another side of God, but another side of His justice. And when we look at this, justice means meeting the needs of the poor and the oppressed and the afflicted. That's different than the way I was looking at it. It's, it's meeting the needs of these individuals, the, 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 the poor, the afflicted, the needy. And in God's creation, as we talked last week, in God's creation, when he created the Garden of Eden, there was, uh, nobody was meant to lack anything. In the grand design of things, there, nobody was to lack anything. We weren't dealing with sin. We weren't dealing with brokenness. We weren't dealing with um, all these other things that you and I experience on a daily basis. But, but we see that when sin entered into the world, everything went completely a different direction. And so when people go without and are taken advantage of, um, it's, it's, it's unjust. And Jesus comes, and one of the first times that he speaks publicly, not just conversation, but he literally stands and speaks. It's the onset of his ministry. He's in the temple. He grabs a scroll, and he begins to read it, and it's from the book of Isaiah. And in this particular passage of Scripture that he reads in Luke chapter 4, 18, it's referring and reading a quote from Isaiah, a prophetic uh, passage of Scripture um, of the Messiah coming, and when he reads this, he reads uh, a certain portion of it and then stops and rolls it back up and says, this has been fulfilled today. And this is what he said. He stands and he reads it and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed. Jesus was saying, my ministry is officially starting now. 
and this is why I've come. And he was fulfilling that passage of Scripture or that prophecy that Isaiah had back in his, back in his letter. And so Jesus was not born just to spread the good feelings or goodwill or just to get the people into heaven when we accept his free grace and mercy and salvation. And, we, and some of us may say, you know what, I'm just waiting for Jesus to return to take me to heaven. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came much more than that. Everything about this first Christmas story points to a Christmas or a story of justice. Let's take a look at some of the people involved in this story. And as we look at this story, we see these, all these people definitely point to this story of justice. The first one we have is Mary. Actually, I had that verse, but I, I skipped over it. The first person is Mary. The truth is, uh, Mary was far from being respected and revered. Now, some of you may come from a, from a different sect of, of, of religion, expression of Christianity, that says we need to pray to Mary, that we, uh, I mean, it, it literally elevates Mary to almost the state of deity. And so that's not what we're doing. Mary, in, in, in the context of the culture, was not respected whatsoever. Number one, she was a woman. And in the Jewish culture, even to today, women are not respected whatsoever. And here you have Mary, and she is not, I mean, she is unwed. She is a teenager, a very young teenager. And we're not talking about like 19 or something like that, but we're talking about a very young teenager. She's walk, let's say she's walking down the street today, and here's what you would see. You would see a young woman she had, uh, who in her culture had no power. She had no status, no prestige. She wasn't even allowed to own anything, again, because she was a woman. And then on top of that, she was an unwed teenager who was, who was pregnant. Now, come on, guys, dads. Your daughter comes home and says, I'm pregnant. Not just your 19-year-old daughter. We're talking, let's say 14. I'm pregnant. And oh, by the way, it's the Holy Spirit's baby. Right, Okay. It's just as crazy now as it would have been then, right? Almost. I think a lot of times we, we glamour. That's what my point. We glamorize Scripture. We make this a cozy, feel-good story, and we remove a lot of the, the stigmatism behind this. She comes home, she shares this. And, and it's like, it, it, it's absolutely insane what she was talking about. And with Mary, she wasn't someone that we, that's elevated. It's like, oh, this is awesome. This woman is, oh, it's Mary. I mean, at the time, she could have been stoned to death for being pregnant, for being unwed, an unwed pregnant person. She could have been stoned for that. And this person by the name of Joseph, he does what? He says, I'll, I'm going to marry her. I mean, guys, let's face it. Let's, let's say we're dating our wives, or let's say you're in a relationship right now, man. What? Let's, say that, uh, let's say that your fiancé comes to you and says, oh, by the way, I, you know, I'm pregnant, and it's by the Holy Spirit. I mean, we're going to have some different thoughts, right? We're going to have this probably the same reaction that Joseph had. And Joseph was like, you know what? I'm going to dismiss this quietly. You know, I think he had dignity. I think he was like willing to make uh, things right. But he was like, I'm getting out of this little situation right now. This woman is cuckoo, right? I mean, that's exactly how we would, I think it's exactly what I would think. I'm running from this as fast as I can. But yet a vision comes to him from an angel. It says, no, this is what you're supposed to do. And so, so Joseph Joseph, a stand-up kind of guy, in the light of all this, all night of all these circumstances, goes to Mary, and and really, you know, uh, makes things right. But think about it. Just think about it for a second as we look at this story emerge within our Christmas story. God could have brought Jesus to Earth any way he any way he would want would have wanted, right? 
He could have brought Jesus to earth with this glamorous red carpet experience that got the attention of every single person on the face of this planet. But yet he chose to use a young virgin teenage girl, woman, to bring about his son to mankind. What does this tell us about God's heart for the afflicted, the powerless, the oppressed? There's a story of justice here. Let's take a look at another. As we look at the cast of characters here, let's take a look at another set of characters, the shepherds. The baby's born. By the way, those of you that have children, those of you that have children, who were the first people you contacted when your child was born? Parents? Who else? Everybody, you know when you ask a question in church, everybody's like unsure of themselves. I know this is the wrong answer, but I I, I contacted relatives too, and I know that he's going to hammer me for that. You contacted your parents. Hey, your your grandchild's here. Your granddaughter is here. She's arrived. Your grandson is here. I remember when Jaden was born, and then you call out to your you, you reach out to your relatives and close friends and everything. He's like, I'm a dad. I'm a dad, ma'am. My son's been born. I remember when Jaden was born. I like texted. I like Facebook. I did all this stuff, man. Posted a couple pictures, you know, the technology that we have. I was excited. But that announcement went out to my mom and dad first. It went out to my in-laws first. It went out to our relatives and, and, and close friends. Do you realize that the first announcement, the only one official announcement of Christ's birth recorded in the Bible the one invitation from God to anyone to come visit Mary, Joseph, and this baby Jesus was an invitation that went out to who? The shepherds. Let me tell you why that's weird. These individuals, the shepherds, were um, individuals that were considered to be extremely undereducated. They were individuals that were foul-smelling, They were individuals that were socially marginalized. They were individuals that religiously, they were looked down upon as nobodies. And yet God says, I want the shepherds to be invited to this birth. The one invitation. What does it tell us about God? Doesn't it tell us that God is going after the marginalized, the oppressed, the afflicted, the nobodies? The next next group of people that we see and we read about are the wise men. Now, this one is really off, okay? When we look at these groups, when we look at this group of people, this group of men, this is really off. These are some people who come on the scene who don't seem to be marginalized as far as the have-nots. These guys were regally, I mean, they were regal, they were well-dressed, they were bearing expensive gifts, right? They were loaded, more or less. They were wealthy. But that's not all they were. They were foreigners. Let's put our, let's put our um, place in the, in the eyes of the Jews, we have the, we have the uh, Savior of the world coming, and the, some of the people that were there first were the people, uh, like a woman the, who, who gave birth that was, uh, uh, you, know, you know, on the bottom rung of the, on the, bottom rung of the ladder, one, up, one rung up from them were the shepherds who were foul-smelling, undereducated, all that stuff, marginalized, and all, and, you know, all of those things. And then you have the wise men who aren't even Jewish. They're foreigners. And in the eyes of the Jews, in the context of their culture, this was absolutely appalling. How in the world can these foreigners who don't even have a green card come in and see the baby that's being born? We're not even invited to this. 
These are pagans. They're not even part of our religious system. Isn't that, we- Isn't that kind of odd? And yet here we see this group of guys showing up, and this really offended, I mean, would have offended somebody in the mindset uh, as of the Jews that come from the Persian Empire, who's probably modern-day Afghanistan. And remember, they were pagans, they were outsiders, they were foreigners, they were immigrants that that wasn't even from their land, and God includes them. I wonder why God included them. Well, in this story of justice, we see that that's exactly what it was. He was pulling in even people that weren't even part of that particular culture. And then last but not least, we have Jesus and his family who are refugees. Now think about this for a second. This is part of the story that we really don't spend a lot of time on. You remember when um, uh, they, they give birth, and the timeline's a little sketchy here. We know that it happened, all happened within two years, though. But the timeline's just a little bit sketchy on when certain things kind of lined up. But at some point... Mary gives birth to Jesus, okay? Mary gives birth to Jesus, and then her husband comes and says, hey, it's time to mount up on a donkey. We're going to Egypt. Oh, cool. Guys, put yourself in this particular, that situation. You just had a child, women. You just had a child, okay? You just had a baby. How many of you would feel like taking a long journey on the back of a beast? Any takers? You know, and I wonder, let me ask this question. How, I wonder how many of our insurances would cover that. And, and, and so, I mean, I could just picture this. I could just picture this. The woman's laying there, and then her insensitive jerk of a husband comes and says, hey, by the way, don't get too relaxed. It's time for us to pick up and move. Why did they do that, by the way? In Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 and 15, we read this story. It says this, or the, the, these words. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, and he said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt, which makes him a... He's starting to become a refugee right here. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to do what? To kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. Guys... But again, I can't stress this enough. Put yourself in Mary's shoes, okay? Here they are. They're embarking on this journey. She has just had a child. They're embarking on this journey. And the further they get away from what is familiar, the further they get away from family, the further they get away from their, from their network, their support system, the further away they get from all of that is, is the safer that they are because they're getting away from Herod, Correct? Now, the opposite, on the flip side of that coin, the further away they get from all of this and the safer they, they get, the more isolated and probably desolate and all alone they must have felt. They had no clue where they were going to eat their next meal. They had no clue where they were going to stay. All they knew was an angel came to them and said, you need to get up and you need to go because Herod's looking for you to kill the child. Now, that's a motivating factor right there. I get that. But here they are going on this journey to get away from all that is familiar. I want to tell you something. I can relate just a minuscule of this. We live away from our family. And I remember when our child was born, and even with our kids today, we don't have grandparents living around here where we can shove them off like some of you guys do. And that would be so cool. All right? That would be so awesome. When it's like you're starting to get burned out and fried, you call up, hey, Mom, can you take our kids for a little while and shove them over there? We don't have that. And furthermore, if the Holy Spirit is making you feel guilty because we don't have that, write that on your card and we'll get in touch with you, okay? But anyhow, my point being is, they didn't have that support system. They didn't have, they didn't have people around them that says, you know what, my child, the baby's sick. Do you think Jesus ever got sick? 
Do you ever think he cried and stuff like that? I know we have the songs that says, you know, lying in a manger, not a pee-pee made. And it's like, uh, I don't know, man. I've been around infants, and they don't, you know, there's some, they make peeps occasionally. You know what I'm saying? And so I wonder about this. You know, I wonder as they got away how, how isolated and alone they must have felt. They were refugees. They became refugees right at the beginning. So when Jesus announces the beginning of his ministry, that he's coming to bring justice to the poor, that he's bringing justice to the afflicted, that he's bringing justice to the oppressed, he was announcing great news to people who had been part of the Christmas story. He's announcing this awesome news to people that were living outside, that were living on the, on the outcasts of really essentially this, this whole Christmas story, including himself. Christmas is a story of justice. Now, let me share with you what he's not saying. He's not saying just because you're poor, marginalized, afflicted, or oppressed that you're noble and that you're godly. Like, oh, okay, I've been born in this situation, so therefore I am noble and I am godly and God's like. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is this. God isn't like us. Now, that's a profound statement, isn't it? God isn't like us. What that means is this. God's not real impressed with what your money can buy. He's not real impressed with your money. He's not real impressed with, you know, he understands that it's temporary. He's not real impressed with those who look at their personal possessions, their prestige and their power, and the ability to pull things off out of their own strength and out of their own reasoning. He's not real impressed with that kind of stuff. That's not how God operates. That's not how God works. God's not impressed with that kind of stuff. But what he is, what really... Um, you know, and, and if it's mainly about ourselves, when we use all of those things, our wealth, all of those things, our networking and all that stuff, primarily for ourselves, God's really not, really not that impressed. Christmas is a story of justice. Christmas is a story where God runs the universe on justice, on a different thing than what we think it is. Now, let's talk about who, where, here's, uh, let's talk about what um, justice we're talking about. God's justice is all about people like Mary. Mary were individuals that we could say this. We could say those who we, who we would least expect. The people that are humble, the people that are meek, the people that are poor. Sounds very familiar because it comes from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus' first sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about those types of people. The people that have virtually no say. The people with no power, no prestige, no pull. They're almost like orphan children. They have nothing. They don't have, they don't have a lot, man. They're just getting, they got dealt a bad, bad hand in society. And that's kind of just where they're at. And God's justice is all about those individuals. The people that we would least expect it. It's also about the lower class in a sense. The shepherds. By the way, the shepherds we could relate probably with your service people industry. You know, you know who I'm talking about? The people when we pack up the we pack up the vans or we get on the plane and we fly to Disney World with our families and we have a great time. The people there it's making up our beds in the hotels. That's the service industry. Those is a lot of those people are the people that that's you know, they're they may be from uh, you know, a Latin American country or something like that. They're living there in Flor- Florida, wherever, and they're all over the place. But I remember when I lived in Florida, uh, in fact, we lived in, in Orlando. And Orlando is, if you go there to try to find a job, it is amazing that the, the, most of the jobs there are just service-oriented jobs. Jobs that you and I would not work at. Maybe because it's not, you know, they're not that rough, but they don't pay. You're, we're not going to do that, are we? They don't pay. God's justice is for the people that are living at those brackets that are, and it's for, God's justice is for everybody. I get that, but when we take a look at this story, we see that God is all about the oppressed. He's all about the poor. He's all about the marginalized, the shepherds who are in the lower class, the first century service industry individuals, the people that are like the wise men who 
weren't even believers. They were wealthy, yes, but they were outsiders, ethnically and religiously. They were completely the outsiders. They just weren't considered in, but God invited them in first. And then you have the refugees, as we just talked about, the refugees, those that are both literally and figuratively uh, a, a refugee, people that are lost, people that are lonely, people that are overwhelmed. You see, the Christmas story is a story of justice when we look at it. And you know what, guys? You know, as we started in this whole series, and again, like I said, this, is, this isn't a series to make you feel guilty, but I pray that the Holy Spirit connects with your spirit. And maybe this is the first time you take a look at Christmas and you say, you know what, there's some other stories that emerge in here, and it may challenge how you celebrate Christmas. And let me just say this for the record. Don't blame me for making you feel guilty if you feel guilty at different times. That's, what, that's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not my job. And it may be that the Holy Spirit's connecting with your spirit and challenging you to take a critical look at some things. And so maybe this is going to be one of the first Christmases you ever you, you stopped and you reflected and you really look back at what we talked about last week. I and mean, you look at it and you say, you know what, this is a war. This is a story of war. This war has been going on ever since the beginning of time. This is a story of war. And I'm, getting, and I'm caught up in this story. Maybe you look at it today and you say, you know what, this is a story of justice. Listen to this. You know, as you take a look at it, you know, there's a couple of things that I want you to do. Number one, I want you to remember. Now, what I mean by that is this. We need to remember what Jesus did when he was born. He became oppressed. He became poor. Listen to this. There was a, this is a true story. Uh, these guys were in college, and one of the guys, uh, they were friends, and one of, one of the friends was the son of an Ethiopian senator. And they had escaped during, the Marx, uh, during a Marxist revolution back in 1974. And at the time, you know, he, when they escaped, this individual was 13 years old. They had to leave everything behind. And in and, and college, these two friends and, and some of the others would get, with this, with, would get with this guy, and they would always try to get him to open up to share his story. And so one day he did. One day they were alone, and, and they all got together, and they were talking about it. And he began to open up, and he said this. He said everything he loved, everything that was familiar, everything that defined who he was, his family, all of that, was gone. And he said at first he was so angry about it. And he went from being one, because he went from being one of the wealthiest to being a foreigner with absolutely nothing. They lived in refugee camps. They transferred out of Ethiopia when they left. They transferred out of Ethiopia uh, to different countries in the dark, finally ending up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, complete, you know, completely dependent upon others for their basic survival. And he says, but over time he realized that the choice to leave it all the choice to become poor was for the sake of his freedom. He began to realize that his parents made a choice to become poor for a period of time. They became poor so that nobody, so that someday he could become just the opposite. Not just monetarily, but in every other possible way. You know, and, and we, when we think about that story, one of the things that emerges, that, that it reminds us of, is a story that Paul talks about, or some words that Paul talks about, found in 2 Corinthians, where he says this. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's a story of justice. 
That is, an, that is an amazing story of justice, amazing story of love. And Paul would also go on to write in Philippians 2 where he said, the Son of God, God, who has all these God attributes, this, this, all of his deity, he chose to take some of that deity, what he had to take, and his godness or whatever you want to call it, and set it to the side so that he could become like us. And he could step down from his heavenly place and become poor become afflicted become oppressed for the sake of my justice and for the sake of your justice that's an incredible story that's an incredible story that a lot of times we miss out on at christmas time and we make christmas other things than what it really is the fact that he chose to become poor for me and poor for you so there's a time where we need to remember We need to stop. We need to remember. And by the way, guys, I know we sing the song, and I'm not bashing our songs, Away in a Manger and all that stuff, but do you realize that when they they gave birth to Jesus, he wasn't, I mean, he was placed in what is a food trough for an animal. I don't know about you, but that would be the last place I would want to place my son after he was born, wrap him up in some cloths and place him in an animal's food trough. But that was the place for our Savior. The second thing, remembering, and and the second thing is uh, to respond. And respond really means this. Theologian uh, articulates it this way. Theologian author um, and author Howard Thurman says this. He says, when the song of angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, when then the work of Christmas really begins. And that is to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, and to bring peace among others, and to make music in the heart. Christmas to us, let's be honest. Christmas to us is a, is, a, is a story of getting. We get. We may buy, we may give, but it's a story of getting, isn't it? Yesterday we were shopping and, and uh, Christmas shopping, and um, I laid out one of those man-of-the-household statements to my wife. Her side of the family does, they exchange names, which I hate, you know? And, and they got these $30, $30 cap on what to buy or, you know, how much you can spend and things like that. But we're out shopping. And I hate it because it's like, what do you buy someone for $30 and all this other stuff? You know what I'm saying? It, it, it like, really makes the Christmas season chintzy to me. But that's her side of the family, and you could expect that, right? That's between us. Don't say that to her, okay? I'm joking. Not really, but I am. Anyhow, um, so I lay out one of those. I lay out one of those male head of the household statements. You know what? We're done with this. Next year, we're done exchanging names on your side of the family. And what she says, well, you can quit, but I'm going to. It's my family, you know. So I was like, oh, I see who wears the pants in the family. You know what I mean? So apparently, we're doing that next year if they do. But anyhow, um, that's a whole other talk. But anyhow, but it is. It's a story of getting, isn't it? We get, we give, we get. I get stuff. I, I'm going to get $30 gifts that I don't even, 
You know, I'll be appreciative. It's not that. We're all appreciative. I'm appreciative of those gifts. But what do I do with it? You know what I'm saying? I might get something, a shirt or something that won't fit or, you know, I can't wear it or or I don't like it or something. So I say thank you so much and I put it off the side. I've got stuff hanging in my closet with tags still on it that I got for Christmas from somebody. And I don't wear them or anything like that. But it's a story of getting. And I get it. I mean, at some point, that's what it, you know, it's a story of giving too, because that's what Christmas symbolizes, you know, that we give. God gave his son and we, and we did get salvation. I get that. And I'm not trying to bash our celebration and, and bash the way our traditions and things like that. And I get to, I, man, I love it too, where, you know, we went out and we bought our kids Christmas presents. And in our minds, we're thinking, oh man, it's going to be so cool when they unwrap their gifts. And you see that look in their face and stuff like that. But guys, let's boil it down and let's just say it. We're going to get, what do we really need? What do you really need? Are you going to get something that you can't survive without? Are you going to get something where it's like, wow, I so needed this because I was thinking if I don't get this, I'm not going to be able to literally live another day. That's not my Christmas. That's not my Christmas at all. But that's the Christmas that we read about here, about people getting Something that is so profound. You see, Christmas is not a getting story, but it's a justice story. It's a story of justice. And I want to I bring us back to something that we talked about and, 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 you know, um, a few weeks ago. The, for, for many of us, Christmas is going to be, again, time where we get stuff that we really don't need. Stuff, stuff like that. Guys... A few weeks ago, I introduced something to you, our Christmas catalog. These, when I take a look at Christmas, I just want to bring this before your attention one more time. When I think of Christmas, when I think of a justice story, I think of this. These are individuals that I'm going to get stuff that I'm just, I possibly will just toss to the side. Whereas these people aren't even getting the main essentials of life. Food. Or uniform to go to school so that they can be educated. Or um, money to be able to go and learn a new trade so they don't have to be in a prostitution, in, a, in the, the, um, the profession, I guess, of, of prostitution just, just so that they can feed their family. You want to talk about making a difference. You want to talk about going to the oppressed. You want to talk about going to the afflicted. You want to talk about going to the poor. I would invite you today as you leave to pick up another one of these catalogs and seriously give it some thought and prayer. These are very economical ways that we can make a huge difference in somebody's life. Where someone's going to receive the justice that God is saying that they deserve. And maybe God's waiting to use people like you and I here at Element Church to bring about the Christmas story, the story of justice, into somebody's life that desperately needs something other than things that we, desperate, things that we get. Does that make sense? I am not trying to make you feel guilty whatsoever. I'm just simply saying this is a great opportunity to put legs and to respond. To remember, but to respond to the story that we just heard about today. I want to close with a word of prayer, but I ask that you would just, again, grab one of these on your way out. It's, it's with an organization called Eyes That See. If you were here, um, I, don't, I forget when it was, a few months ago, but Matt Ness, and he is the, he's a friend of our campus pastor, CJ, and uh, Adrian. But uh, Matt Ness, is a, um, he leads that particular ministry, that mission called Eyes That See. 
uh, in Ethiopia. And, and again, it's just an incredible ministry that goes into the lives of the Ethiopians there and is just literally making a difference. And guys, the thing that blows me out of the water is how inexpensive it is to make a difference in somebody's life. The Kids, kids Connections are doing the Tencent Dabo, which literally means it, brings, it feeds other kids in Ethiopia for 10 cents a day. You're feeding a kid is what you're doing with bread. And so other things in here, I mean, we're, on the back, we're talking simple, simple, simple projects. A full meal, a full meal, for, full meal for six months to one child is $73. I'm going to get a gift, probably, or two, that would add up to $73 that's going to mean nothing. When we could feed a child for six months. Isn't that amazing? Or 60 kids. You're buying plates, cups, forks, spoons, things like that. 60 kids, 90 bucks. Guys, this is so inexpensive, and we can make a world of difference to the afflicted and the poor and the oppressed uh, by just, just engaging with this particular ministry. Again, as I said, Matt Ness, Eyes at Sea, an incredible ministry. We really, I really want Element to begin to see ways that we can partner with them because they're making a difference, and I want to be a part of that. And so I hope that you would just consider that in prayer. Uh, again, I'm not forcing you into anything like that, but just really consider it. Give it some thoughtful prayer and things like that. Um, again, I'm not, you know, as we celebrate Christmas through the season, please don't think that I'm trying to bash our tradition. In fact, the next couple of weeks, the topics are a little bit lighter. We, we hit pretty hard the first two weeks, haven't we? It's been hard. I mean, I get it, man. I've been living it out too. It's been hard. But uh, I, hope, I hope you listen to the, to, to the power of the Holy Spirit, and I know you will. We've got a great group of people here at Element. So uh, please just, uh, as you leave, let the Spirit continue to engage with you. So if you would stand, I want to uh, close with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this message, even, even if it may feel a little grinding, even if it may feel you know, like it's rubbing up against us in a way that we don't want it to. I thank you for that, God, because I know that will bring change within our lives. And I pray, God, for those that are experiencing that in here this morning, that they, that they would not dismiss that as uh, me uh, trying to guilt them into something or someone else, the church or whatever, trying to guilt them into something. But God... They might see that it's the Holy Spirit convicting and bringing truth into their lives, as your word says he will do. And so I pray for them, God. I pray for the people here today. I pray that as they are experiencing the leading of your spirit, that they would respond uh, to him and to align themselves uh, with, with him. And God, as we do, I, I'm, I know we will see uh, people responding uh, to, to helping the afflicted, the poor, and the oppressed. And so, God, as we, you know, I pray that we would make this, this particular part of the Christmas story, I pray that you would make it real to us in our lives. Help us to just, uh, you know, find ways to uh, live it out. And so, uh, as we leave here today, just encourage us, give us um, the power and the strength and the humbleness and contriteness to, to surrender it all to you. And um, I ask all this in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Guys, it was great worshiping with you this week. Come back as we continue our series Unwrapped, and we'll see you back here next week.